message this morning is is all about hope. This is the last message I'm going to preach about hope for our theme. I know it's not 2019, but next week is the theme reveal for our next uh, year's theme for 2020. And uh, I want to end this one off on hope. Uh, hope for a Pharisee is the title of my message this morning. Hope for a Pharisee. Let's look at Acts chapter 9, verse number 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that he, uh, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Why pursuest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another day you've given to us. And Lord, thank you for the hope of salvation. Hope for all men, Lord, is found in you. And Lord, I pray you encourage our hearts to look to you, our hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our text this morning is all around, revolves around the man, Saul of Tarsus, okay? Uh, we know him better today as Paul, uh, but he, that was after he was saved, he was, his name was changed, but he was very mightily used by the Lord. He started many churches in the known world. He traveled thousands of miles. Uh, even the most basic of Bibles in the back of the Bible usually has the maps of Paul's journeys. And he traveled a lot. All right, He traveled a lot preaching the Word of God. And he endured lots of suffering for the cause of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 22 to 28, kind of lays out all the things. Well, he doesn't lay it all out. He, he, he mentions the big things. All right, that he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned and left for dead. Uh, he spent many years in prison uh, because he was faithfully preaching the Word of God. But Paul was not always a Christian. He had to choose Christ. Before he met the Lord, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a zealous Jew. His zealousness led him to hate the name of Christ. He hated the good news. He hated the doctrine of the resurrection, the church. And he truly did hate because he murdered people. Uh, he, he directed the deaths, the slaughter of Christians. He was a man that was lost and on his way to hell because he did not believe the gospel. Now, this is an interesting thought. We don't have any information about this. Uh, but it's an interesting thought, just to ponder for a moment. I wonder how many believers at that time who knew about Saul prayed for his salvation. I mean, he probably much was the wickedest man that was against the church. Uh, if he wasn't, he was in the top five for sure. I mean, he was the most active that we know of. 
How many really prayed for him? <clears throat> Did they held hope? The, the church held hope that one day Saul would come to the faith. I suspect that most looked at Saul as a hopeless case. There's no hope for him. And the reality is the vast majority of the people feared him. If anything, they wanted him to go away. Don't come near us. And this story, this true story, teaches us some great things about hope. Saul's story teaches us there is hope for hard cases. Hope for hard cases. There's hope for your loved ones, your friends, your co-workers, for people you've prayed for many years to get saved. There's still hope. Some of you have been praying for certain people for years, maybe even decades. You may have come to believe that they're too hard of a case for whom there is no hope. Maybe you've been tempted to stop praying for those individuals. Uh, maybe you're at a place of discouragement right now in your prayer life, doubting whether or not they would ever be, get saved. Let, let me encourage you that Saul's story should give you hope, give you encouragement. Not every, everybody's not hopeless cases. Everyone has hope in Jesus Christ if they would just receive Him. Saul's story reminds us that God loves sinners. Amen? He loves sinners. It reminds us that it's never too late. As long as there is life in you, it is never too late to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The God of grace. As we heard that song sung this morning. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. And He will save any and all who would come to Him. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter what you've been taught in the past. Doesn't matter what you did last night. Doesn't matter what you're thinking about right now. The reality is, if you come to Jesus Christ, He will save you. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. It reminds us that even when we think nothing is happening, God is at work in the hearts of the lost. He's at work. He's at work. We see some things about Paul or Saul. Let's just spell his name right now. Saul had some problems. Like everyone who's ever lived, he has problems. And they're really real. Just like you have problems in your life, Saul had them. And these problems combined to make him a hopeless case in the eyes of most Christians. First of all, he's self-righteous. Saul is extremely self-righteous. He was a very religious man. And uh, we're not going to talk, uh, read it, but in Acts chapter 26, he talks about his religious achievements. In that verse, he, Saul tells us about the reasons he had to be confident in the religion that he had. In Philippians 3.6, he said that his life was blameless concerning the law. So that means, that word means free from fault or defect. He, he had no issues. As much as humanly possible, Saul of Tarsus kept the law of God. He loved the law. He studied the law. He obeyed the law. He lived the law. If you examine the life of Saul of Tarsus, you're trying to find out that uh, uh, fault with him concerning God's laws. He, he, he was trying to do it all. He was trying to do everything the law said. And he would say, I have nothing wrong with my life. Reality is, the problem with Saul's relationship with the law is the fact that trusting the law never saves a soul. You understand that? That's important. Because there's people today trying to do the same thing that Saul Tarsus did back then. Keeping the law will not save you. 
Oh, yes, if you drive on the 401 the right speed limit, it will help you sustain life, not get in a wreck. Uh, but it will not save your eternal soul. And every one of us has one. Everybody born in this world, uh, humans, have a soul that will live somewhere forever. Saul believing, uh, believed keeping the law would buy favor with God and that God would accept him and would grant him salvation because he had earned it. He obeyed all the law. The, Saul's thinking was dead wrong. Dead wrong. And, and like I just mentioned earlier, so many people in the world believe this very same thing or something very similar. Uh, most religions is built on this faulty thinking. Most. The truth is, no one is saved by religious works. The Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Saul could never get to heaven because he kept the law, and neither can anybody else, because God's Word, the final Word, the truth, says you can't. And we need to understand that and apply the Word of God to our hearts and lives. And no one is saved by keeping the law. Romans 3.20 Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law tells you that you sinned, but it doesn't save you. It just informs you you're lost. You sinned. You're in trouble. But it doesn't save you. And no one is saved by good deeds, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing that we can do, will do, think we might do. None of those things. Anyone who's basing their salvation or their hope of heaven on doing good, on the perfect on keeping the perfect law of God is deceiving themselves. I think just this week, I read, I think it was Bloomberg in New York City said that he's been doing good enough, he'll get to heaven. He said that in a newspaper. He's like, hey, read the Word of God. Read the truth. And you'll find out what the truth says. And it says, no, you can't. No one can keep the law. That's not possible. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. No matter how hard you try, we always are guilty of of coming short of God's perfect standard. And that's what God expects. For us to get to heaven on our own would be perfect. And we're not. Nobody's born that way. Everybody's born with a sin nature. Uh, We don't become sinners because we sin. We're born sinners. We don't have a choice. That's just our nature. That's who we are. Because of sin. Uh, you know, we're, we're in big trouble because of that. And the only way out of that trouble of sin is through Jesus Christ. Amen? That's it. No other way. Uh, the, no law, no religion, no nothing. No good deeds. It's through Jesus Christ. Our world is full of self-righteous people. If you're one of them this morning, I would plead with you to get in God's Word and see what God's Word says about it. Don't take the word of a man or of men or of a church or of an organization. Get in God's word and see what it says. God's word is true. It always has been, always will be. See what he says. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the truth. It's through Jesus. He was sinful too. Saul of Tarsus uh, 
said that he was a holy and righteous man. The reality is he was lost, need a savior. He didn't realize that uh, he was guilty of uh, some commandments. Saul violated the sixth commandment, said, thou shalt not kill. He killed. He killed people. Saul Tarsus thought he was right with God. He believed that he was self-right, that his self-righteousness, his outward obedience to the law of God was good enough. He was dead wrong. That obedience to the law is not going to erase the sin that was in his heart, no matter how hard he worked, uh, the all good he did, the rules he kept. I really believe that uh, Saul Tarsus was a very passionate man about the things he did. I believe that with all my heart. But just because you're passionate doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. And you're passionate about helping people. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. And I'm sure the people you help are thankful that you're passionate. But you need to know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what, that, that means we have a relationship and then we have a home in heaven. Everybody needs a Savior. There's nowhere, no one in this world who does not need a Savior. Everybody does. We can't save ourselves. It's not possible. The only hope is the new birth. Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The only way sins can be forgiven and we can be saved is to turn to Jesus Christ and believe in Him. And and this is what uh, uh, Paul uh, said to the Philippian jailer. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when that conviction comes upon our heart and we understand that we're lost and the way we're doing it, just like Saul did, and we'll see it in a second, uh, you know, once we understand that conviction, we turn to Jesus Christ, we turn away. So Saul, Tarsus is a great example. He was doing this. He was persecuting the church. He was obeying the law, saying, this is what's going to save me. The Lord shows up, convicts him. He understands it. He turns from this and he turns to Jesus Christ. That's repentance. He turned from it and he places full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he's saved. Wonderful. I hope you've made that decision. Oh, you might not have done what Saul did. But you're believing something. Everybody believes in something. What, what are you doing? You need to be believing in Jesus Christ. That's what you need to be doing. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So whoever you are this morning, whatever your name is, from whatever place you're from, trust in Jesus Christ and He'll save you. For whosoever... You know, Saul had a lot of spite. He had a lot of resentment. I read this statement this week. I thought it was interesting. Religion without redemption always produces resentment. I thought that was pretty good. Pretty smart person who came up with that statement. He heard the truth. He rejected it. He heard the gospel. He wanted no part of it. He refused to believe on Jesus. And he became enraged against those who believed it. And the sin in Saul's heart made him to be a ruthless, cruel man. Oh, we all want to meet Paul when we get to heaven, but we would never want to meet Saul before he came to Christ. He, he was a mean man. He was mean. He hated Jesus. He hated the gospel. He hated any individual who would believe that Jesus claimed, uh, Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He hated that Jesus claimed that. He hated the gospel. He, he, anyone who would talk about the Savior, he would be upset with. He would uh, be against them. He would be opposed them. I think the name of Jesus caused him to be angry, to be quite honest. You know, throughout the book of Acts, particularly Acts 7, 8, and in the beginning here in verse 9, 
uh, chapter 9, we see some things uh, that Saul did. He worked hard at destroying the church. He was passionate about it. And I'm not even going to refer to everything that we have in those portions of Scripture, but some. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, we're introduced to Saul for the first time. And in that introduction, he's at the place where stone, uh, Stephen is stoned, the first martyr. He was involved with the first martyr. He was consenting unto Saul's, or Stephen's death, sorry. Consenting means agreeable. He was pleased with it. Uh, Stephen's death pleased Saul, made him happy. Talk about having some hatred. To see that someone would die and be happy about it. That's where he was. Saul made havoc of the church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, the word havoc means to ruin, destroy, to devastate. He would actually enter into private dwellings in verse 3 of Acts 8 and, and, and take believers, hauling them, mean, uh, dragging them, resorting to violence to accomplish his purposes. Acts 9.1, we already read, he's, he murdered believers. He slaughtered them. He obtained warrants from the Jewish authorities to authorize him to harass those who would believe and arrest those who would believe in Jesus Christ. He did everything he could to oppose the name of Christ. Uh, later on in Acts chapter 26, he would tell, testify uh, that he was against believers and he would try to get them to recant, to get them to blaspheme the Lord. In 1 Timothy 1.12, his own testimony was he was a blasphemer, one who slandered God. A persecutor, one who troubled, who harassed others. Injurious, one who spoke harshly and falsely towards others. And he was an unbeliever. He didn't have faith. He, he did have faith, but not faith in Jesus Christ. He believed that his system, the laws that he kept would save him. He had faith in his goodness. He had faith in his own self-righteousness. He had faith that he in himself that I could do it myself. I had the ability to do it. Because of all this, Saul of Tarsus was a man much feared. His hatred for the gospel caused the early church to write him off as a lost cause. Hopeless case. Some of you here might be praying for someone like Saul of Tarsus. Maybe it's a brother. Maybe... Sister, wife, husband, son, daughter, mom, dad. I don't know who it is. Maybe they're the, the, we would use the word rank sitter. I mean, just horrible people. Awful speech, do bad things all the time. Or maybe the person you're praying for is, they're really nice. I mean, maybe they've come to church with you and sat down with you next to you in service and, and said, I enjoyed that. That was nice. And outwardly, they're very kind and do good moral things. And, uh, and they, people trust them. They have a good name in the community, wherever they're from. And, uh, and people like them. Whatever the case, their greatest need is Jesus. That's their need. And we need to be praying for them. And we need to be testifying to them. We need to continue that. They're lost. They need a Savior. But they're not a hopeless case. Keep at it. Keep at it. The Lord can save them. The power of God, Saul Tarsus, he was deaf to the pleas of the people he persecuted, deaf to the Gospel. He was blinded to the truth. He didn't want it. He was, even though it was staring him right in the face. 
I mean, I'm sure many times he took those Christians from Jerusalem and the surrounding area and grabbed them and hauled them off. They were trying to tell them about, they were trying to tell him about Jesus. I'm sure he heard it. Just turn his, turn a blind eye to it, turn a deaf ear to it. But while men could not reach Saul Tarsus, God was bringing conviction to his heart. Day in and day out. He was bringing it. He was applying the pressure. How God confronted him was pretty miraculous as Paul was heading to the city of Damascus in verse number 3. Suddenly there shone around about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth. As he was heading to Damascus, he was going to Damascus not for a vacation or go see family. He was going to arrest Christians. God confronted this bitter, self-righteous Pharisee. A bright light shined about him. He's thrown to the ground. He lies there on the ground. The Lord speaks to him and asks him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you talking to me? In an instant, Saul's life is turned upside down. Turned the right way up, you could say. Turned on his, on his ear. The very Christ he has denied, attacked, and hated is speaking to him. He's confronting him about his sin. No one thought Saul could be saved. No one thought that Saul could be reached with the gospel. I think many people have tried before. But God can do anything we think is impossible. Amen? He's the God of the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. He, he can do things that we can't comprehend. Now, we don't see it happening. At any time God could do it, we should never count God out. And shame on us if we do. Because He is God. He is the Almighty. Keep talking to your friend about Jesus. Keep talking to that person about the Lord. Keep praying for them. Uh, keep uh, bringing it to their attention. Do what you can. Just keep watering that sea and see what the Lord can do. You see the confrontation. We see the conviction. It's hard for thee to kick against the bricks, the Lord says to Saul. Now, the prick is, uh, refers to an uh, uh, ox goad, that you, a long stick with an iron point in the end. And the man driving the ox would use that to spur on the ox who refused to obey, who refused to move. Saul was being a headstrong ox here. He was a stubborn man. He closed his eyes to the truth of the Gospel. He was willingly ignoring all the facts about who Jesus was and what He did. Saul did these things, but it wasn't without... Any consequence. I believe the Lord was bringing conviction to his heart. I don't think all those things that he did, it was always laugh and joy. I think there was times when his heart might have been pricked. Maybe as he's hauling children away from his parents to bring them to the slaughterhouse to be killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe it was a word spoken by a man as he was being brought to the to be interrogated or tortured as he would do. And he would say a kind word and maybe the Lord would prick his heart. Uh, whatever the case, every time maybe a believer would die, do it in such a graceful manner, maybe he started to think, well, maybe this Jesus is real. There's no doubt that Saul of Tarsus had been a hard-hearted individual and indifferent to the Lord. But God was doing a hidden work in his heart. Something that no one else could see. No one else could see it. 
God was bringing him to a place where he would be humbling him and, and bring him to a point where he would make a decision. Well, am I going to confess Christ or am I going to go continue against him? Saul Tarsus chose the Lord. He's lying low. God brought him to that place and he repents. He says, Lord! Acknowledges who Lord is. And when he meets the Lord, he folds like a cheap suit. I don't know where we got that word. Cheap suit. I'm going to try and find out where that came from. But he folds. He doesn't have any resistance uh, to the Lord. He says, Lord! The Lord's work of conviction is hard has accomplished His purpose. And the Lord speaks and Saul's ready and he believes and he's instantly saved. Hallelujah! His life is changed. I'm going to tell you right now, as individual believers, we should be excited when we hear someone accepted Christ as Savior. We should be excited. We should get... Hey, amen! Woo! Yes! Praise the Lord! That's important. That's the greatest life decision anyone can make. We need to be excited about it. Some of you are praying for lost people. Again, maybe some really close to you. Really close. And you don't see a lot happening right now. To you, they seem no closer to the Lord than when you started praying for them 10, 15 years ago. Maybe 20 years ago. Others may seem like they're worse than when you started praying for them. It can be very discouraging to continue to pray for that last one. When you don't see anything coming to fruition. You don't see them moving towards the Lord. In truth, you don't know, you do not know what God is doing in their heart. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard from people who've been prayed for for many, many days, many months, many years, and they say, well, you don't know after they get saved. You don't know what the Lord was doing when you said that to me. And when I said that to them, they looked at me with three heads. They're like, it really convicted me. I thought, man, I didn't even think you listened to me. The reality is, you don't know what God's doing in the heart. You don't know how the Lord is applying the pressure. You don't know how the Lord is bringing events in their lives together to affect and understand that. I need to look to Jesus. They might be right now at the closest moment of repentance ever in their life. And you just need to keep the course. You need to keep faithful. You need to keep praying. You need to keep witnessing. You need to keep encouraging. Look to Jesus. He is wonderful. Testify what the Lord has done. Keep on praying for them. Maybe even redouble your efforts. Don't stop lifting up their name. Don't stop. As long as the Lord gives you the air to breathe and the life to pray, pray for them. And the reality is, they might not even come to the Lord during your lifetime. It might be during theirs. I can think of people in my own family life. My great-grandpa passed away before the family got saved, but he prayed for 30 years before. I can think of other uh, individuals, his, uh, historical Christians, who prayed for friends, and after they died, it was years later their friends got saved. Don't stop. Don't stop praying. Keep it up. The Lord is using events of life and the Holy Spirit is working in its secret ways that we don't understand all the time. And, and your witness and your witness to other believers and thousands of other things reveal to them that Jesus Christ is real and they need to see it. They're not going to see it on some foolish television show. YouTube isn't going to bring in the Word of God. Not in the way that you can. 
Just stay faithful. Keep pressing on. Keep praying. Keep believing. I believe in all my heart salvation is for all men. But they need to accept it. The Lord's working. They need to accept it. The proof of conversion. And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Saul of Tarshish meets the Lord. He asked the Lord a simple question. And they have a brief encounter. Saul was born again. Now you say, well, Pastor, we don't see the you know a sinner's prayer here. We don't see that in this situation. It's not laid out for us. So where's the proof? Where's the proof of the pudding? Where is it? Well, if you read your Bible, if you've read much of the New Testament lately, you have proof. Amen? The Lord used Paul in a great way to write numerous books of the New Testament. We're going to look at some things. He proved by his works. And the Lord says, uh, gives Saul a command. The first thing, it was simple. Go to the city. He goes. He didn't say, now, you know, I, I get a better idea. I should go back to Jerusalem or anything of that nature. No, he says, go. He goes. He obeyed the command. He obeyed what the Lord told him to do without wavering. And, and he did that the rest of his life. That's not to say that Saul never sinned. Yes, Saul sinned. He's a human just like you and me. He had sin nature. He had to battle it. Absolutely. But the idea is that he persistently pursued obeying God's word until he died. His obedience proves that he loves the Lord and that he is saved. Proven by his words. As soon as Saul gets saved, he begins to serve the Lord by preaching the gospel. In this, in this same chapter, in verse number 20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Man, I would have loved to have been at the synagogue that day. I mean, these people knew who Saul Tarsus was before, and you show up that day in the synagogue, maybe those other guys who wanted Saul to come and arrest people, all of a sudden now Saul's preaching what those other people believe. Could you imagine those other people? Their mouths are wide open. Someone give him the other notes. He's got the wrong notes. No. No, he believes this in his heart. Now he's preaching it. And Paul would use every platform he was given as an opportunity to tell the world about Jesus. He told governors. He stood before governors. I would think that was pretty intimidating. Like, you you say the wrong thing in front of a governor, you could lose your head. Oh, I'm sure that was intimidating, but he stood there and he looked at those governors and said, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. You're lost. That, that took some courage. Stood before kings and did the same thing. Soldiers that were always, you know, when he was in prison, he always had a soldier close by when he was in transportation uh, and then when he was in Roman things. He told the, Ro- the Roman soldiers all about Jesus. He had a captive audience, didn't he? Those guys are chained to him. You can't get away from me. Now listen again. <laughs> this is what the Word of God says. You need Jesus. The common man, the common woman, all about everyone he met, he told about Jesus. He told them how Jesus died and rose again to save them. At one time, he would kill people because they believed that. Now he's just he's proclaiming it. The gospel he hated became the thing he loved to talk about the most. The very Lord he tried to destroy became the Lord he could not talk about enough. 
His words proved the reality of his faith. As proven by his walk. When Paul got saved, Saul got saved, later Paul, he did not stop living clean for the Lord. He merely stopped living clean to get heaven, to purchase heaven as such. He did this now because he loved the Lord, not to please the Lord. He loved the Lord. I need to live this way to show him I love him. He abandoned the self-righteousness, the hate, and the murder, and he embraced a new life of love for all men. His life changed, and it would never be the same again. The character of Saul's life proved that he belonged to the Lord. When God saves an individual, when God saves a sinner, He produces some very same kind of changes in their lives. I'm not saying, obviously, no one's no one else is Saul Tarsus. We're all different. But we get, we have a new birth, amen? And we become new creatures. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love this verse in Ezekiel 36.26. A new heart. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in you, and I will take away the stony heart of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The idea of that. We're tender for the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. We want to do what's right. The redeemed prove their salvation by their work, by their words, and by their walk. That's what we want for all the hard cases in our lives, don't we? Maybe that uncle, that favorite uncle of yours, or that aunt, or that third cousin, or whoever it is. They're lost. You pray for them. You're concerned about them. You want to see them get saved. Don't stop praying. Don't stop witnessing. Don't stop. Don't give up hope. There's hope in Jesus. 